Chapter 11 of The Complete Works of Artemus Ward, Part 2, War, by Charles Ferrar Brown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 The Noble Red Man The Red Man of the Forest was formerly a very respectful person. Justice to the noble aborigine uh, warrants me in saying that originally he was a majestic cuss. At the time Chris arrove on these shores, I allude to Chris Columbus, the savages was virtuous and happy. They were innocent of secession, rum, draw poker, and sinfulness generally. They didn't discuss the slavery question as a custom. They had no Congress, pharaoh banks, delirium tree men's, or associated press. Their habits was consistently good. Late suppers, dyspepsy, gas companies, thieves, ward politicians, pretty waiter girls, and other metropolitan refinements were unknown among them. No savage in good standing would take postage stamps. You couldn't have bought a coonskin with a barrel of them. The female aborigine never died of consumption because she didn't tie her waist up in whalebone things but in loose and flowing garments she bounded with naked feet over hills and plains like the wild and frisky antelope. It was an unlucky moment for us when Chris sought his foot onto these ere shores. It would have been better for us of the present day if the engines had given him a warm meal and sent him home o'er the raging billers. For the savages owned the country and Columbus was a filibuster. Cortez, Pizarro, and Walker were one-horse filibusters. Columbus was a four-horse team filibuster and a large yeller dog under the wagon. I say, in view of the mess we are making of things, it would have been better for us if Columbus had stayed to home. It would have been better for the show business. The circulation of Vanity Fair would be larger and the proprietors would all have bosom pins. Yes, sir, and perhaps a ten-pin alley by which I don't wish to be understood as intimating that the scalping wretches who are in the engine business at the present day are of any account or calculated to make home happy, especially the sea oxes of Minnesota, who deserve to be murdered in the first degree. And if Pope will only stay in St. Paul and not go near him himself, I reckon they will be. End of chapter 11 Chapter 12 of The Complete Works of Artemus Ward, Part 2, War, by Charles Farrar Brown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12. Artemus Ward in Richmond. Richmond, Virginia, May 1865. Olonzo Ward. Before I commence this letter from the late rebel capital, I desire to simply say that I have seen a low and scurrilous note in the paper from a certain person who signs himself Olonzo Ward and says he is my brother. I did once have a brother of that name, but I do not recognize him now. To me, he is worse than dead. I took him from college some sixteen years ago and gave him a good situation as the bearded woman in my show. How did he repay me for this kindness? He basely undertook, one day while in a bacchanalian mood on rum and right inside of the audience in the tent, 
to stand upon his head, whereby he betrayed his sex on account of his boots and his beard falling off his face, thus ruining my prospects in that town, and likewise incurring the serious displeasure of the press, which said boldly I was trifling with the feelings of an intelligent public. I know no such man as Olonzo Ward. I do not even wish his name breathed in my presence. I do not recognize him. I perfectly disgust him. Richmond The old man finds himself once more in a sunny clime. I come here a few days after the city caterpillar chillated. My neighbors seem surprised and astonished at this daring bravery unto the part of a man at my time of life, but our family was never known to quail in danger's stormy hour. My father was a sutler in the Revolution War. My father once had an interview with General Lafayette. He asked Lafayette to lend him five dollars, promising to pay him in the fall, but Laffey said he couldn't see it in those lamps. Laffey was French, and his knowledge of our language was a little shaky. Immediately on my arrival here, I proceeded to the Spotswood House, and calling to my assistance a young man from our town who writes a good run in hand, I put my autograph on the register, and handing my umbrella to a bald-headed man behind the counter, who I supposed was Mr. Spotswood, I said, Spotsy, how does she run? He called a colored person, and said, Show the gentleman to the cow-yard and give him cart number one. Well, isn't Grant here, I said? Perhaps Ulysses wouldn't mind my turning in with him. Do you know the general? inquired Mr. Spotswood. Well, no, not exactly, but, but he'll remember me. His brother-in-law's aunt bought her rye meal of my Uncle Levi all one winter. My Uncle Levi's rye meal was pooh, pooh, said Spotsy, don't bother me and he shoved my umbrella onto the floor. Observing to him not to be so careless with that weapon, I accompanied the African to my lodgings. My brother, I said, are you aware that you've been emancipated? Do you realize how glorious it is to be free? Tell me, my dear brother, does it not seem like some dreams, or do you realize the great fact in all its living and holy magnitude? He said, he would take some gin. I was showed to the cow-yard and laid down under a one-mule cart. The hotel was awful crowded, and I was sorry I hadn't gone to the Libby prison, though I should have slept comfortable enough if the bedclothes hadn't been pulled off me during the night by a scoundrel who come and hitched a mule to the cart and drove it off. I thus lost my covering, and my throat feels a little husky this morning. General Halleck, offers me the hospitality of the city, giving me my choice of hospitals. He has also very kindly placed at my disposal a smallpox ambulance. Union Sentiment There is rarely a good deal of Union Sentiment in this city. I see it on every hand. I met a man today. I am not at liberty to tell his name, but he is an old and influential citizen of Richmond, and says he, why, we've been fighting again the old flag, Lord bless me, how singular. He then borrowed five dollars of me and bust into a flood of tears. Said another, a man of standing and formerly a bitter rebel, let us at once stop this effusion of blood. 
the old flag is good enough for me sir he added you air from the north have you a doughnut or a piece of custard pie about you i told him no but i knew a man from vermont who had just organized a sort of restaurant where he could go and make a very comfortable breakfast on new england rum and cheese he borrowed fifty cents of me and asking me to send him william lloyd garrison's ambrotype as soon as i got home he walked off said another there's been a tremendous union feeling here from the first but we was kept down by a reign of terror have you a daguerreotype of wendell phillips about your person and will you lend me four dollars for a few days till we air once more a happy and united people jeff davis now, jeff davis is not popular here she is regarded as a southern sympathizer and yet i'm told he was kind to his parents she ran away from him many years ago and has never been back this was shown a good deal of consideration when we reflect what his conduct had been her captor in female apparel confuses me in regard to his sex and you see i speak of him as a her as frequent as otherwise and i guess he feels so himself r lee robert lee is regarded as a noble feller he was opposed to the war at the first and drawed his sword very reluctant in fact he wouldn't have drawn his sword at all only he had a large stock of military clothes on hand which he didn't want to waste he says the colored man is right and he will at once go to new york and open a sabbath school for negro minstrels the confederate army the surrender of r lee j johnson and other leaves the confederate army in a rather shattered state that army now consists of kirby smith four mules and a bass drum and is moving rapidly towards texas a proud and haughty southerner feeling a little peckish i went into a eaton house to-day and encountered a young man with long black hair and slender frame he didn't wear much clothes and them as he did wear looked unhealthy he frowned on me and said kinder scornful so sir you come here to taunt us in our hour of trouble do you no said i i come here for hash pishaw he said sneeringly i mean you air in this city for the purposes of gloating over a fallen people others may basely succumb but as for me i will never yield never never has something to eat i pleasantly suggested tripe and onions he said firstly then he added i eat with you but i hate you you're a low-lived yankee to which i pleasantly replied how you have your tripe fried mudsill with plenty of ham fat he ate very ravenous poor feller he had lived on odds and ends for several days eating crackers that had been turned over by revelers in the bread tray at the bar he got full at last and his heart softened a little towards me after all he said you have some people at the north who air not wholly loathsome beasts well yes i said we have now and then a man among us who isn't a cold-blooded scoundrel a young man i mildly but gravely said this cruel war is over and you're licked it's rather necessary for somebody to lick in a good square lively fight and in this here case it happens to be the united states of america you fit splendid 
but we was too many for you. Then make the best of it, and let us all give in and put the Republic on a firmer basis nor ever. I don't gloat over your misfortunes, my young friend. Far from it. I'm an old man now, and my heart is softer nor it once was. You see, my spectacles is mistened with something very like tears. I'm thinking of the sea of good rich blood that has been spilt on both sides in this dreadful war. I'm thinking of our widders and orphans, north and of yourn in the south. I can cry for both. Leave me, my young friend. I can place my old hands tenderly on the fair young head of the Virginie maid whose lover was laid low in the battle dust by a federal bullet, and say as fervently and piously as a venerable sinner like me can say anything, God be good to you, my poor dear, my poor dear. I riz up to go, and taking my young southern friend kindly by the hand, I said, Young man, adieu. You southern fellers is probably my brothers, though you've occasionally had a cussed queer way of showing it. It's over now. Let us all line in and make a country on this continent that shall give all Europe the cramp in the stomach every time they look at us. Adieu, adieu. And as I am through, I likewise say adieu to you, gentle reader, merely remarking that the star-spangled banner is waving round loose again, and that there don't seem to be anything the matter with the goddess of liberty beyond a slight cold. Artemis Ward End of chapter 12